Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, this is The Bright Side with Technisha. A daily broadcast on real-life issues that will keep you motivated. And now, here's your host, Technisha. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is May the 14th, 2014, and you're tuning into another episode of The Bright Side with Technisha. And, of course, we all have had questions about near-death experiences, wondering what actually happens when we go through that time. Do we actually go to a light? Well, here to answer all that is Amir Serrano, who is an uh, who is an unabashed believer in the immortality of the human spirit and is a longtime researcher, writer, and lecturer on paranormal phenomena such as out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, deathbed visions, after-death communication, reincarnation, mediumship, and afterlife. Sound like a little... Sound like a little charm? Yes, it probably does, but this is all real, not television. And he also has a book out called Near the End of Death, How Near-Death Experiences Prove the Afterlife. So let's welcome Amir Serrano, and if you have any questions or want to call in, and just a little curious, do so at 347-426-3751. Hi, Amir. How are you today? Hi, hi, Technisha. I'm, I'm doing great, and uh, I'm sure you too. And so our listeners, you know, they're tuning on your on your station right now. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I know sometimes it sounds a little scary for most people to want to even talk about this type of things, but it does happen. It's reality and things that you need to touch bases on. So, Amir, let's start off by telling us a little about your background. Um, well, uh, I'm from Brazil. I was born there, but I've been living most of my life here in in the U.S. Um, and uh, I, as you mentioned, I do research on uh, with those paranormal phenomena and also death and dying and so forth. And uh, and that is a hobby of mine that I've been doing for about 15 years. And um, and and I do lectures on the subjects, and it's something that is uh, like part of my life because it's a, uh, as you mentioned, a lot of people are scared about it, but it's a reality that we're all going to face, and um, most of us uh, have also gone through the loss of a loved one, and uh, so it's very important to know, and mainly to know that uh, uh, as a spirit. Uh, we go on living after the body dies. So it is uncomfortable, maybe talk about it. it you know, it's scary to some people, but it's a reality that we're not going to have much trouble when that happens because knowing that we are immortal as a spirit, we know that we're mortal, so we won't have much trouble adjusting uh, to the next phase of our existence. Right, because when I think of it, I think of spirits, and I've never actually seen a spirit before. Now, as far as it goes with other people I have talked with, including my husband and my mother, they have witnessed those type of things that we consider as paranormal, and they have made movies out on a paranormal witness, and I even see it on Lifetime and other channels where people have experienced these type of things. And that, that sounds so scary to actually have to deal with, I guess, the undead. Yeah, uh, some people have uh, this natural ability, like, uh, 
for some reason, like you mentioned, uh, um, your husband has this ability, <coughs> excuse me, and some other people called psychic mediums, they also are able to do that, to see and to hear, and uh, children are also able to see most of most, you know, kids see that. And uh, we, we are, uh, like I mentioned, we are always spirits, so we are seeing spirits uh, every day in our lives. We are surrounded by spirits and being spirits ourselves. Um, uh, but we are in a different phase right now. We are uh, experiencing the physical life. We experience a, a physical body that uh, uh, being here we can see, we can touch, we can hear. Um, and then what happens after we shed the physical body, we keep, you know, going, living on the uh, on the other side of life uh, with a more subtle body that, uh, you know, it's a spirit body or whatever, and that is the body that is seen uh, by people who have that ability. So uh, when you say that you see a ghost, actually what, what, you, what people see is someone who is no longer in physical life, but someone who is still living, someone who is still uh, can, is able to think, uh, someone who has an identity. So it's not something that, that you know, it's an abstract thing. Um, and when we see that, we are seeing our future. We are seeing what we are going to be to relieve the physical um, life, you know, by the death of the physical body. So we are surrounded by ghosts, so to speak, and uh, we see them more often um, than than we can tell. And uh, I, I could explain, uh, the, the, uh, like in dreams, for instance, many of our dreams are uh, uh, experiences that we have, out-of-body experiences. And uh, in, in those situations, we are many a times surrounded, uh, you know, by, by uh, those so-called ghosts you know, during our sleep time. So we are very familiar with them. We are very familiar with the, the other side of life, but we just don't remember that uh, too much right now. Does that answer your question, or if you can, if you have any more specific questions, uh, I could elaborate. No, you did answer my question. I guess for me, um, fear is the biggest stumbling block on the path of this, development and trying to communicate with the spiritual side, it does seem scary. And I and I really don't want to see scary things, but I think it's all <laughs> part of it. And it's really not supposed to be spooky, but this is what I would like to know, Amir. How did you get caught up in spiritual philosophy? What brought this um, up? Yeah, actually, the, the, the spirit, I'm a, a spiritist. It's a, a philosophy of life or, or a religion that is very... Uh, popular in Brazil, and, uh, and as a spiritist, obviously, we uh, believe in life after death, we believe in reincarnation, we believe in our ability to speak or to communicate uh, with, uh, you know, the spirits of uh, people who are no longer in physical life, and we also believe that they have that ability also to communicate through some of us, not to everybody, uh, and I think uh, I got caught up in it as as a phase in my in my spiritual search. I've uh, been you know on the spiritual path for many many years, and then I got more involved in um, 
in researching paranormal phenomena. I also had the opportunity to work uh, in hospice as a volunteer with people who were facing, who were in the, you know, uh, approaching death and so forth. So I was very involved in that. In that, and uh, then in one part uh, of my life, and that was uh, ten years ago, then I ran into um, the spiritist teachings, the spiritist doctrine that is very popular in Brazil, as I mentioned, that I had in a way center, a study center, like on on, on uh, my on the block where I used to live. But it was only here in the United States because we Brazilians brought that religion of philosophy, you can call it, to the U.S., and it was here in the United States. When I was ready to find it, to, to immerse myself in it, that's when I got uh, caught up in it, involved in it, and I've been involved in it for the past 10 years, and I intend to be, you know, to stay involved. Okay. Now, let me ask Amir, is there a way, like, okay, some people do see spirits, but is there a way that you cannot see spirits if you don't want them to? Do you need to light candles, um, maybe ask for permission that you don't want these to come into your space? Uh, uh, not to speak to them or to speak to them? For them not to probably even come into your into your space or your home. Okay. Now, <laughs> this is one thing. If you're scared, you're probably going to, I'm going to scare you more. I would probably love to, tell her to get the, excuse me, but I would love to tell her to get the hell out of my house to go on and come up. Well, <laughs> this is this is what happened. Um, the spirit world, where we are going to live after we pass on from physical life, the same place where your loved ones who passed away uh, and they're still living, be they uh, children, be they adults, be you know whatever or whatever relationship you had with that person, all of those spirits. Uh, in non-physical form, they are not, they have not been transported to some other galaxies or through some other uh, uh, level of existence. They are all around us. The the spirit world, what we call a spirit world, is the non-physical dimension that is part of the physical dimension. So the our home, our home, <laughs> is filled with spirits. And uh, we are also uh, in, we are also inhabitants of their world, but we cannot see each other because we are vibrating in in different frequencies. So even though there are spirits by my side, I cannot see or feel them unless I get into a state where uh, I, I'm I'm able to do that, either you know by hearing or by intuiting or what you know what's happening, and so forth. And they are not also in touch with us or trying to communicate with us because they are also involved in their own things. So right just as uh, in our space, wherever we are, we are filled also with x-rays, with ultrasound, with ultraviolet light, with all those things that vibrating in different, uh, uh, um, in different frequencies. Just as we are immersed on that, we are also immersed in the spirit world. And, and that is a fact, and that is a reality that we cannot get away with it. You know? Do you understand? And now I'll tell you in a bit how uh, uh, we could avoid or, or, or 
not talking to them or not having them talk to us. Do you understand this first this first portion? Yes, sir. I am. Um, it's 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 getting to me, but I'm keeping up with you, Amir. Now, when you wrote this book, what type of information? How did you go about retrieving all this? Where did you get it from? Your information just to write the books on death and. Well, there's a lot of, there, yeah, uh, it, it was from my personal experiences mm-hmm. and also from studies uh, uh, that are done, you know, a lot of studies done in, in America, uh, universities and also universities in other countries. And so there's a very rich uh, um, uh, body of knowledge uh, written by academicians, written by scientists, by medical doctors, nurses, for for many years. So the, in 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 the specific book, the end of death, how near death experience proved the afterlife, was a personal experience that I had with people who were close to death and reported to me the experiences they had, and also from uh, work done by other investigators by other researchers, and also through my own out-of-body experiences, which is a type of uh, experience that we all have, but not everybody is conscious of it, that uh, for a time uh, send us or we can uh, experience this uh, spirit world and uh, our future existence um, when we leave physical life. So those are... The, where I got my information uh, from uh, indirect knowledge from what's out there, indirect knowledge from my um, own out-of-body experiences. Okay. Now, what kinds of near-death experiences reports intrigued you the most? That intrigued me the most? I think yes, they're sir. all, uh, uh, I, I find them intriguing uh, regardless of the type. Um, because it's um, it's a powerful experience that the person um, a person who uh, is you know has a brush of death either by you know through an accident or a heart attack or something like that a fall for instance has um, it's it's fascinating because people who are going through that experience and they bring information back to us. What uh, what real death you know uh, uh, would be like uh, the phenomenon and uh, the way they leave the physical body and the sensations that they have when they leave the physical body and also you know acknowledging that they are in in a spirit body and this spirit body has all the um, the senses intact they can hear they can see they can not touch physical things because it's different, uh, but, you know, sense of smell, everything, and also this um, expansion of consciousness, of understanding uh, of what's going on, especially uh, acknowledging, understanding that they're part of a greater reality. Uh, those are some of, uh, you know, intriguing and amazing. And that happens, you know, to children. And, and some of them are, other types of uh, near-death experiences that we uh, uh, they they affect or the the process and uh, what the person experienced that we can talk about later. 
why, and usually when they show these on television, they really fascinate. They really fascinate me, especially the ones that that show where the spirit is outside the body and it brings back information about the future. And I'm like, wow, that's it's, it's yeah, sometimes it's spooky, but it's really awesome. Like if I really could leave out my body and tell me what's actually going to happen right now, that would be very awesome. Especially if you could tell me if I'm going to win the lottery or something. I mean, all jokes set aside, would I mean, I don't know if I would want that to happen though, because I remember one time a guy told me he actually left his body, and he, um, he went somewhere else. But do your when you leave out the body, Amir, does it go to where you want to go to, or it just does its own thing, the spirit? <laughs> well, it's it's a, it's interesting sometimes. It goes where you want to, um, as I have experienced. And uh, but sometimes uh, we're not even aware where we're going, uh, and, and many times we're guided uh, to go to a certain place for a certain reason. And uh, most of the time, the reason is instructing us. The reason is us also helping out while we're out of the physical body, because that also happens. Uh, so we sometimes we may be in control and sometimes we are not. But there's this part of us probably because we are not conscious. We may not be conscious, aware, or, or consciously think that we're going to a place or to a random place. But there may be a part of us, this, this greater part of us, uh, that knows and that goes where it needs to go for some kind of reason. But uh, normally, uh, since that happens we are when we are in the state of trance or in the state of uh, altered state of consciousness, maybe the memory, when we bring back the memory, the memory is not as accurate or even not as complete as what happens to us when we are out there. It's like, like the dreams, for instance. Uh, sometimes we have magnificent dreams that we, you know, it, it has a beginning, it has a middle, and it has an end, and some powerful emotions that we experience while we're dreaming. But then when we wake up in the morning, we just remember part of it, uh, or, you know, a little part of it. Sometimes we don't remember at all. So uh, there's, I think there's this part of us that knows it, but then for some reason when we come back, we don't uh, actually we have this feeling that we don't know uh, much what happened, but there's a part of us that knew it. Something right. like that, maybe. Right. I heard of that, too. Most people discover that he or she is not the same anymore. There are some reported comments that many people have after having a near-death experience, and they may also be in need of information or even support, so... Wow, I mean, this is really deep because you don't think of this. This is stuff you see on TV and be like, oh, whatever. But it's <laughs> well, maybe some people, some people like me and so many others, <laughs> for some reason, we get involved into this. And uh, what's what's amazing uh, about this experience, and maybe you heard it, is that, uh, and when you read it, uh, people who they were scared to death of dying, you know, and okay. then and then they have and then they have a near death experience, and uh, so they go through the process, 
and, uh, you know, they experience the afterlife for a short moment. And then uh, normally when they're in the spirit world, uh, surrounded by very often um, loved ones who passed away, and also by uh, uh, spirit guides and stuff. And they asked, asked, they asked them if they want to stay there with them in the spirit world, or if they want to return to physical life. And even many of them, they were scared of dying. They want to stay. And then when they're told that they cannot stay because they still have work to do on earth, they get upset because they have to return. They want to stay dead. So can you believe that? <laughs> I, I probably could because that, that was mainly my question. Do people actually prefer to stay at that light? I don't know. I think if it's not your time, then it's not your time. I, if God's not ready That's for right. you not to return back to that body, you you can't make that choice for yourself. So, Amir, what aspect of a near-death experience catches your attention the most? Um, well, I think uh, because I'm, I'm fascinated uh, by by the whole process. Uh, but one thing that draws my attention is, for instance, that um, when the person is uh, out of body, out of their body, uh, um, caused by a near death experience, and when this person uh, sees the light or follows the light or enters into a tunnel, the end of the trip, for instance, the end of that journey, as they report that they found themselves in, in this green meadow or they found themselves in this uh, beautiful place, place of light, and they saw their relatives there, you know, people who had passed away and so forth. They, at the end of the tunnel, it's never a physical place. It's always a spiritual realm. And that is an indication because that, uh, the, an indication that, what is happening to that person is indeed a spiritual experience and an experience that is telling that um, there is this uh, uh, spirit world is a reality and it's not as many skeptics and naysayers say that is a hallucination or it is a, or it is a dream, you know, because it's always very consistent, always a spirit place spiritual place and the people that they see the apparitions that they see they don't say that they saw this person and this person is still alive for instance you know uh, uh, and that, that is a, that's another indication that it is not a hallucination that they, they're seeing this spiritual being relatives or friends who passed away because they are all still living and living in that certain place so those are two aspects that is very that, that that drew my attention in the beginning, and that not a lot of uh, researchers uh, uh, probably apparently or at least publicly have uh, mentioned the effect. Okay. Wow. I do. I love every aspect of it all. 
I mean, because it's like you can see, you, you're seeing your life from every possible perspective and angle, your own perspective, other people's other people's perspective and God's perspective. Every possible thing you want about your life is there for you to, it's actually there for you to review and study from a dimension where time doesn't exist. It's it's really awesome. This is really cool, but I'm, ooh. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I know some yeah. people might not be into this, but, and some people will agree, some won't. Some people don't want to think about it, but that's why I had to bring it up because it is a discussion. It's a powerful emotional experience that can change people, and I and no other experience even comes close to that, especially when it comes where you can actually go to the heavens with God. As one of my guests said to me, he said that he actually been to the heavens. And I was like, wow, actually to the heavens? I mean, things that I don't even think about or even discuss with people. Yeah. Yeah, we are um, we are much more than we think we are because we are uh, right now we we are very limited in our understanding of things and uh, we are too focused on physical reality. We are too engrossed in trying to make ends meet to survive. Most of humanity is like that. And uh, besides that, we also we we have the the brain is a powerful. Um, instrument is a powerful organ, but it it is restricting. It it doesn't allow us to go much uh, beyond what we uh, see physically. You know, in order for you to access all the realities, and it's very difficult. Not a lot of people can do that. So uh, uh, that probably so we tend to think that this is the only reality that that is, and this is the only thing that we are, you know. But um, when we see such experiences, not only near-death experience, but other experiences that I research, uh, deathbed vision, after-death communication, and so forth, um, you you can see that there's this greater reality. And uh, if you look into it in depth with an open mind, uh, you can see that what they're saying uh, what's happening out there makes sense, and um, and and you know, and it's it's awesome. Uh, the feeling is awesome when we understand that uh, we are part of much greater reality, and that we are also much greater than we are, and uh, that is very important. And that changes our perspectives and changes uh, uh, even our priorities. Just uh, as it happens when people wow. have an near-death experience. Uh, um, uh, to it, that happens to them. They come changed, as you mentioned earlier. Right, right. And it just seems that um, basically the every it appears that every possible human emotion can be found in these experiences. But from from doing your report and reading about it and researching, did it take away your fear of death? Yes, definitely, but now, but mostly, because uh, I never, uh, um, um, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I don't remember having had this fear of death or fearing it in, through my whole life. I never, uh, I was concerned about that. I was uh, always okay with it, uh, but I had in my my uh, certainty that life goes on. Uh, increased uh, after I started having out-of-body experiences. Uh, 
and that was about 13, 14, 15 years ago when I started experiencing this um, this uh, phenomenon of leaving the physical body, knowing that I was leaving the physical body, knowing that I was out of the body, knowing that uh, I was in a spiritual place because I, I, I had guides, I had teachers showing me what, you know, what the other side was like and all that. And, I, and, and that happens to me frequently uh, even um, uh, today. So I, and I have experienced also the feelings, the internal feelings as we as a spirit leave the physical body. So it's a, it, to me, it's, um, it, it doesn't matter anymore which side of life I live, this one or the other. I am familiar with both, and I'm okay with living, you know, um, either way, either place. Um, yes. So I'm, I'm at peace with that. Why? And as one person told me, life is the hard part. The light is for later. And if you're a good person, there's nothing to fear about death. You will be taken care of when it's your time to leave. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And we see uh, working uh, with with um, in hospice, uh, being close to people who are approaching death, even if they feared that uh, prior or as soon as they were diagnosed as a, a terminal, terminally ill, for instance, when it gets close uh, or closer or close to to dying, to leaving, you know, the transition is uh, at hand, then uh, the person normally, uh, the person is okay with it. Many of them are, are even expecting or anxious to move on because sometimes, you know, they're experiencing a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort, and they they want to go. And so they're okay with it. And uh, in addition to that, uh, uh, they're wanting to go or, or making peace with it themselves. There yeah. is very constantly the presence of loved ones who passed away and also other spirit guides that are uh, around them and, and by their deathbed, and when they and they talk to them, they they even mention who they are if they they knew the person in life. And when you ask them why why they are there, they say you know to help me transition and to guide me to the next stage. So that those are that's a thing also that is very comforting, not only to the person who is experiencing the transition, but also to loved ones who are, will be leaving, uh, will be left behind, and uh, it's for their mourning and uh, and and you know for it's it's very comforting to both sides. Okay. Well, what we're going to do right now, we're going to end up taking a short a short break, and we're going to come back with Amir Serrano. So if you have any questions or anything that's on your mind that's pondering, please don't be afraid to call in. It might sound scary, but don't be afraid. It's safe. You call in at 347-426-3751. I'm here. And so don't go anywhere. Don't touch that dial. So, you know, I'm a dog, and I'm kind of new to this family, but I've noticed a trend. My humans do this thing where they go around and get all my toys and hide them in this basket, but it's always the same basket, and it's always the same place, and then they act so surprised when I find them, but I'm like, 
Hello? That's where you put it last time. Humans are the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. There's only one station that will keep you happy. Blog Talk Radio. We're taking more of your calls at 347-426-3751. Stay tuned. We'll be back after this commercial break. Unexpected reactions to smart financial decisions brought to you by FeedThePig.org. Well, I finally did it. I opened a 401k. Hello? So you're giving up. Just like that. Giving up on what? I'm getting an inheritance from a distant relative. Don't you think if there were a billionaire in the family, we'd know about it by now? Listen to me. We are one phone call away from riding horses on our own private polo ground. One call from christening yachts, having a butler, using summer as a verb. How do you figure? Look, everyone's got a rich uncle somewhere. It's statistics. So the best thing you can do is just prepare for the inevitable. Right, which is why I thought maybe it would be smart to take control of my finances. You know, start using a budget, get out of debt, set some retirement goals. Budgets? Debt? You watch your mouth. Retirement shouldn't be a goal for us. It should be a way of life. When it comes to financial stability, don't get left behind. Get tools and tips for saving at feedthepig.org. This message brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. And we're talking about near-death experiences right now. So if it sounds like it's a little spooky to you, just say, just keep tuning in because it's, it's, it's getting there where it won't be as scary anymore. I can't say it in a better way for you, but it's, it's just real. But anyhow, getting back to Amir. Now, Amir, did you look at life differently after you first read some of these near-death experiences before? Uh, yes, yes, that, that, uh, it, it makes you because um, um, it shows, uh, especially, uh, especially we, ha- we have some music on the background. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, especially uh, uh, when you see the, the changes that... Um, that you know that are produced and the person experiencing that and um also another very frequent feature uh which is the uh the life review that they call uh that at a, at a part at a, uh, at a you know at, at sometime during the experience um when they're in the spirit in the spiritual realm normally accompanied by what they call a beam of light, um, a very powerful but understanding and love-filled spirit that they call. Some of them some of them refer to that being as Jesus for lack of a better uh, description because, you know, it emanates all the feeling of love and, and, and comprehension and, and acceptance and so forth. So they go through the the way they're living their lives on earth. And many of them, they see uh, themselves even being born or as a small baby. And through the whole process uh, of, of, of 
childhood, uh, adolescence, and then adult. And many, uh, you know, they see that it's very fast, but very intense. And uh, some points that are highlighted are the negative things that they're doing and how that is uh, hurting their progress. So, and that is one of the reasons the life review is one of uh, the main things that make people uh, having a near-death experience come return to Earth and change. And many of them, they come changed positively uh, in, 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 as a consequence of having uh, seen their lives and have been brought to attention what they're doing wrong. So those are things that, you know, the life reviews and those things were things that made me uh, consider uh, the way that I was, uh, that, that I lived my life. And knowing that I will have to give account, not to God or not to any other people, but to my own consciousness. So, you know, we've, um, when we do wrong things here, uh, if we are a person who is carrying it, then that makes us suffer because we regret. We, we, you know, at one point we become remorseful for having done that to, you know, especially when we're hurting someone, especially when that someone is someone we love very much. So those are things uh, that, one of the things that really made me uh, look deeper into my life and also be careful the way I live it. Right. And I and I definitely can understand all that. And most people have said that you don't even have to really just go through these spirit these experiences just to benefit from them. But really, you could just read what others have experienced, and you could put that into practice. And and reading what they have learned, it, it just gives you that understanding, the big picture of reality, and which includes the nature of God, life, love, and afterlife. That is, yeah, that is, that, that's the fact. And uh, you can see that, like, for us, you know, now we can talk about it, we can laugh, we can make fun of it, you know, or these this people are crazy and all that, and, you know, they, they're hallucinating and so forth. But like, like you said, I have seen uh, people approaching death. I have been on their bad side. And uh, I have seen uh, a lot of suffering. Uh, mental, emotional suffering for regrets, due to regrets, due to not having lived their life the way they should have lived, a regret for not being forgiven, regret for not having accepted for, uh, uh, forgiveness from someone who maybe hurt them and now want to make amends. I have seen that in their deathbed, so it is going to catch up with us. Whatever we do, that is wrong. Whatever hurt that we cause is going to catch up with us uh, sometime. Now we are all, it's all fine and dandy. We're having fun here. You know, we are out there. We can, you know, we go to movies, we go to parties. We do that, uh, and so we don't care about people we hurt. But when it comes a time that we can no longer go anywhere, that, you know, we're, we're finishing our experience on earth, and uh, the only place to go is within ourselves. And then when we start evaluating our lives, that thing is going to pop out. And whatever we have done that, that hurt people will hurt us. That is definitely, I have seen that. And uh, I witnessed that. 
So that was, you know, I tell our listeners to be careful the way they're living and change whatever they're wrong. And I, I mentioned that in the book too. Uh, do the life review right now. Change what needs to be changed and live a better life. This one here now and the future one when we are on the other side because it's going to catch up with us whatever we do wrong. It's unescapable. It's a divine law. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do know it, but some people are not willing to want to still make that change. They know that it it will come back to them twice as hard or three times as hard, but you feel just want to keep doing it because it, I think it just feels so good in that moment. But the outcome is not going to actually feel good at all. Now, Amir, if you if you could tell us one important lesson in life according to your near-death experience research, what would it be? Um, one of the not only near-death experience, but also uh, uh, people approaching death because that's something that is going to 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 catch up and that's going to hurt uh, is forgiveness. Uh, forgiveness is uh, uh, one of the main things that we should learn. And I know that there is, you know, we see in the media every day, we see some people doing terrible things that is inhumane. You know, it's, it's beyond description. And then you say, you know, how are you going to forgive that person? That is very hard. That is very hard. But for some reason, uh, even pray for that person. Even for, uh, uh, we, we need to do that even if it, you know, it's beyond our capability. At least we need to try. So because when we forgive people, uh, we are, uh, you know, getting closer to the way Jesus lived and to what he taught us, you know, uh, forgive, you know, seven times, 70 times seven, whatever it needs to. Because uh, when we forgive, we're sending out good energy, and it it benefits us because everything that we hold, uh, the hurt, you know, rancor, uh, uh, grudges that we we hold inside us does uh, uh, physical damages to our organs and also emotional damages. So the the more we can release all those energy through being, you know, forgiven, it will benefit us as well. It's a process, hard sometimes, but we need to make all efforts that we can in order to put it into practice because that's one of the major uh, lessons that we came to life to learn. Right. And not, I mean, it's just the evolutionary goal of humanity. I mean, because once you get past that glory point, it's like you're never dying. You're you're always living once you become one with God. <clears throat> Now, Amir, what do you believe is the ultimate? <clears throat> I'm sorry, excuse me. So, Amir, what do you believe is the ultimate meaning behind near-death experiences? If you could tell us in one or two sentences. Uh, well, uh, the the meaning is uh, awareness of uh, their greater beings, awareness of their immortality, and uh, the existence of a spiritual realm where they are going to inhabit. And us, all of us are going to inhabit after we leave physical de- uh, the physical um, body, you know, through physical death. I like that. I like that. I like the answer. I do. Now, with this book that we have out, what will people actually find in it? 
Um, um, it's on a major bookstore throughout the United States and other parts of the world as well. Uh, you know, Barnes and Noble's books, a million books and books, or whatever the neighborhood bookstore is. And also online on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, that the novels that they can buy either printed or the the or ebook, whatever. Both options are available. And also um, more information on my website at mirserrano.com. And uh, there's more information about me, my work, and also. Uh, links for the listeners to share their experiences or ask questions, post comments, whatever. Oh, well, see, now that's a good thing. So I hope everybody who is skeptical or just curious, please go out and get a mirror book. It's a it's an awesome book, and you'll learn so much and become one with God closer, I believe. Now, this is a question I don't think I even asked. Ask in the beginning, but what actually causes a near-death experience? Um, uh, well, the term near-death experience was caused by uh, was uh, coined by Raymond uh, Moody. He's one of the pioneers in studies of uh, near-death and um, um, uh, what they call clinical death. The the the, the heart stops to beat, uh, consequently uh, circulation stops and blood doesn't flow. To the cells doesn't flow to the brain, therefore the brain doesn't receive enough oxygen, and it causes unconsciousness. Uh, and these circumstances happens through a heart attack, or okay. drowning, or fall, anything that is accident or trauma that causes the heart to stop momentarily. And if the person is not revived within a few minutes, then uh, then the body eventually dies. So that's the um, uh, Normally, what we call near-death experience, those are the circumstances that they happen. Okay. But now, I know um, near-death experiences, both pleasurable and distress, that occur to all types of people all over the world, all ages, races, backgrounds, and religions. But some people don't report ever having those. Um, and why is that? Why doesn't everybody close to death have one? Yeah, well, not everybody, maybe not everybody has one. Maybe not everybody remembers having one after they come back to uh, physical consciousness. Um, children report more than adults, like 70% of the of children who uh, had a, a, a clinical death condition, many um, 70% report having had some kind of experience. In adults, mm-hmm. that percentage is like 40 or 45 and uh but sometimes uh it's the the adults also had the experience but many of them are afraid to tell uh there are many cases that they didn't report when that happened they reported like many years later even decades later because they were afraid of uh, not, they didn't understand what happened or they were afraid of uh being mocked being made fun of being called crazy so probably the adults uh, who have had the near-death experience is greater than 40%. Uh, but it's hard to tell why not everybody has one and not everybody remembers one. It's hard to tell. Okay. And will you, will a person such as myself, if my friend is going through it, will I be able to tell that she's going through it or I just have to wait for her to come back into her bodily form? Oh yeah, the, during yes, yes. Because during a near-death experience, uh, the, the 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 
physically that person is unconscious. Physically, many of them have been told by the attending physicians that they had died, and many out of their body heard the doctor saying that they had died. And many of them even screamed or yelled at the doctor, no, I'm not dead, I'm here. Oh, hey, look here, I'm here, I'm not down there. So there's this uh, thing, you know, um, uh, this this awareness that, that they were living, that their life went on. It was, uh, uh, so um, they, they're going to tell you that they had this experience after they revived and after they can contact you uh, consciously, you know, in the same uh, physical form. They're not going to be hard. You won't be able to communicate with them while they're having that experience because the body is uh, clinically dead, as I mentioned, and the person is in out of their body. So um, we, we can communicate in that condition. We need to wait for the person, obviously, to be resuscitated, to come back okay. to physical consciousness, and then talk to that person. Wow, I just... Now, just listening more and more about this is making me love to hear even more. Um, now, I know we talked about people getting right with God because we, we all have a day. We don't know when our day is coming, but we all have to answer to him. Now, is there, a, is there a way for people who may be living on the dark side for them to see the light before they actually die? Of course, yes, obviously, obviously. Uh, and this is one of our work here on on the physical plane because we, as you mentioned before as well, we are evolving beings. We are evolving spirits. We are evolving consciousness. We are always progressing. Uh, even in this life, you can see a lot of people changing. You see criminals, uh, some of them bad criminals, they get arrested and they go to jail and they, they go to prison and then they find the Bible or, or they find another some, some kind of teaching. And they transform this, their lives radically. Many of them, if they leave church, leave prison, they become ministers and pastors. They're going to minister to those also in the, the dark side. We have many. We have had many cases of uh, drug addicts uh, who get out or, you know, kick the habit. Alcoholics, I was a witness of that. And an alcoholic person that is down in, in the in the pits all their lives, and then all of a sudden they find the strength, they kick the habit, and they go on ministering and helping uh, people uh, in that condition to get a hold of their lives and find a new way of living. So we have plenty of examples of that, and we should do the same. If we're doing something that is wrong, and we know what is the right way to do it, we change, and everybody can change, and there's help professional help, church can help, psychologists can help, psychiatrists can help. Help is out there. Our loved ones, of course, too. We just need to ask. We need to change. It's better for us to be on the other side of the track than on the good side, the side that, so that we can all see the light when our time comes. Right. Oh, man. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You have to. You got to, we got to bow down. <laughs> you do. You got to bow down. You can't, you can't keep living the way that we want to. Um, so, um, Amir, this is why I would like to also know, what do you, what do you actually think of angels and demons or are both of them actually the same? Yeah. Um, well, we see, th- those are, are symbols, right? 
angels and yes. demons, uh, and demons. Yes. they're symbols of, of uh, good and evil. And they are, in that case, depicted by an angel or, you know, or with wings or whatever. And then we have the, the demons, the demons, you know, the dark figures, so it's symbolizing evil. And we see that in humanity. We see a lot of people doing good on earth, and we see a lot of people doing evil. But these people are doing the, living the way they're living because of their level of evolution, of the spiritual intellectual conscientious evolution some of them are behind you know some of them are more advanced and some of them are doing wrong things they hurt people but to them they think what they're doing has a purpose even if it hurts uh people so it's it's in some they're living like living like they're little like they're sleepy you know they're sleeping they don't know exactly what what's what's going on but that um believing in reincarnation as i do uh, uh, through the cycle, cycles of life, all the people that are evil today, symbolized by demon figures, they will eventually also recognize their mistake and will come back and work on their evolution to attain light because light, our, de- our destiny is light, our destiny is perfection, and our destiny is to be close to God. And we work on that through the many lives and through our own efforts to become better every time that we have a chance. Okay. Now, or also, or near-death near experiences caused by false memories, because I know that you did mention memories earlier, but can it be false memories too? Uh, it, 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 it's a very uh, um, uh, simple, it's a very simplistic, uh, explanation, because the experience, near-death experiences are very powerful. They okay. are very de- detailed. For you know, to to have a false memory, especially in some uh, experiences that you see there, it, it's a very simple, uh, simplistic explanation that doesn't tell the whole story. Actually, it doesn't tell even one percent of the story. Oh, okay. Well, is there anything else that you would like the listeners to know before we get off the air, Amir, about near-death experiences? Well, um, not about near-death experience per se, but uh, I would like them to know that they are immortal beings, that life is a precious gift that we need to fulfill and we need to go to the very end. Uh, going through whatever troubles and tribulations we are faced with, but always with the knowledge that uh, this is not all. This is just a small part of our evolution, and that when the physical body dies, we will continue existing. And to those who lost loved ones, who are still hurting maybe uh, by the loss of loved ones, to be certain that the only thing that happened is that they are out of their physical sight, but they're still existing, they're still thinking, they're still individuals, and they still love us, and they're still around us, caring for us and trying to help us as much as they can. That's my message. Well, Amir, I really appreciate you for coming on to this show. And for the ones who are listening in and chatting with me, I, if you want to, I would like to engage in a conversation with you after the show. I want to know how you feel about life after death. 
Will it make you actually change? Do you feel it's a reward or a punishment after after life? So just let me know. You can always hit me up on my Facebook fan page at uh, Bright Side with Technicia or tweet at tday60. But again, um, excuse me, Amir, I really appreciate you for being on the show and enlightening us with this spiritual part of, of life. It's a great pleasure, Technicia. Thank you for the opportunity and thank Thank you, all your listeners, and God bless all of us. God bless you, too. Enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You, too, technician. All right. Well, my listeners, bye, Amir. Well, my listeners, I hope I didn't spook you too much, but I had to bring it to you. I mean, it's part of life, and it's something that I did want you to know about. But it's not supposed to be spooky. It's it's fun. It's, It's something... Well, I guess not fun, but it is what it is. It's reality. So I do want to engage, like I said, with you in a conversation about this, and I hope that you do take interest and let me know what you feel like about life after death. So please do that. But um, once again, I thank you for so much of your love for liking my Facebook fan page. It, it really means so much to me. Please don't forget, I'm giving out a, I'm also giving out a wine voucher too for a hundred dollars from Naked Wine, and I've been wanting people to participate. I had two people that actually could have wanted, but they never had respond. So I hope that you're engaging in this with me because I do want to give you the voucher. Don't be afraid. If you don't want to give me your address on the Facebook fan page, you can call me personally. My number is 678-368-6425. So don't be afraid to do that. Yes, I am playing a little thrill. I thought that was lighting up the mood a little bit. Yes. Yeah, see how I kind of think it around? But I really do. I appreciate you for tuning in with me on this show. And I hope that you have a blessing today. Oh, as a matter of fact, I forgot. I have another guest coming up. Named Connie Allen. That's right. Connie Allen is an experienced casino dealer. Honey, she knows how to play the cards. Yes. So please stay tuned in with me on this. I'm going to take it to a short commercial break, and we're going to get Connie on in. So, you know, I'm a dog. And I'm kind of new to this family, but I've noticed a trend. My humans do this thing where they go around and get all my toys and hide them in this basket. But it's always the same basket, and it's always the same place. And then they act so surprised when I find them. But I'm like, hello, that's where you put it last time. Humans are the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. All right, I'm back on the air, and up with me is Miss Connie Allen. She is a, a an experienced she is an experienced blackjack dealer, and she know how to flip the cards before your eyes. It's like magic. <laughs> but let's welcome our love to Connie Allen. How are you today, Connie? Hi, thanks for having me on the show. I'm great. Oh, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm glad that we were able to get together, Connie, after the last situation that I said about my daughters. Um, which yes, is, I know. 
Yeah. Everything okay with that? Yes, ma'am. It went very well. Great. He talked to the boy's Great. parents, and nobody okay. was irrational. Although, you know, before we even start the show, it built up in me where I wanted to be so upset. I wanted to be mad, but I just couldn't because that's not me. And so right. I talked with him. The mother talked with her son, told him he can't put his hands on everyone because regardless of the situation, I know he was keyed off. And, and how it actually went, Connie, one of my daughters climbed onto his back, and she ended up grabbing him, and he got mad, and he didn't know which twin it was, so he ended up getting the wrong one. But the point of the matter is you can't put your hand on everybody because he could have literally broke her arm by yeah, slapping her down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, and we, we talked with the teachers. We wondered, okay, if four teachers on the playground, why was nobody really watching them? And then you want them to actually go to to the zoo. I said, no, ma'am, they're not going. They already right. wasn't going. They already wasn't going in, in the first place. But when that happened, I said, oh, no, you're definitely not going. If you couldn't watch them on the mm-hmm. playground, what makes you think you're going to watch them then? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But, exactly. Anyhow, enough about me. We're going to talk about Connie. That was just a little thing that Connie and I had talked about, and it all leads up to bullying. And Connie is very firm on bullying, and so am I. So <laughs> if you have any yeah. Any concerns about that? Don't be afraid to get in contact with me or Connie, and we're gonna have. She's gonna give her information at the end of the show as well. But Connie, mm-hmm. let's get a little bit about your background. How did you even get into Black Jack and and, and into okay. the casino? Okay, well, back in 1996, uh, Indiana uh, opened up uh, casinos. Uh, they were given the right to do that, and one of them was Hollywood Casino. And, of course, they were going to need employees, and so they opened up a class for us. And we went to school for eight weeks, five days a week for four hours a day. And I knew that this was something I was really going to want to do because I love people and I love the hustle bustle of exciting things going on. And so I knew this would be for me. So they interviewed us, and I passed at the classes. And so I started back in 1996, and... As the years went on, I stayed there for 16 years, and through the course of all those years, uh, I would say probably within seven to ten years into it, I started noticing how the novice players, like I would have been back in 1996, um, not knowing the ins and outs of how you're losing more of your money than you are winning, um, I figured, you know, the novice players – really need my help. They need to know just exactly what they're doing wrong at the tables so that they can correct that and hopefully instead of just giving their money to the casino, they can maybe save some of that and hopefully turn it into winning. So I took note on a lot of the things that the novice players were doing and one of the things I noticed was that the novice players um, are too proud to say they're beginners so they sit down at the table because they see the other ones were all playing. And they're a little bit nervous because they don't want to make a mistake, but they tend to hit the cards wrong or they don't give the correct signals and um, things like that. And so instead of doing the correct thing, which is coming to the table and sharing with the other players, hey, I'm a new player and is there anybody here that can help me out here while I learn the game? You'll be amazed how many players will step up to your your help there 
And yes, they will share with you, should you hit this or should you hit that? And another thing that the new, new novice players do is they, even though they know they should hit a card mm-hmm. through the fear of losing their money, they will wave it off because they're, they're now playing what's called a hunch bet and they're hoping that the dealer, even though she has a 10 showing, that she's going to flip it over and have to take a card. But when you start playing by hunch bets, that means you're playing by, with scared money and you will not win as much. You'll lose more than you'll win by playing that, by that strategic. But the thing of it is is that if you are afraid to play your money for fear that it's going to lose, then you really probably shouldn't be playing blackjack. What you should play then would be your carnival games. They're called carnival games in a casino because they're the easiest games to play. Um, like black, I mean, like uh, three card poker and let it ride and all of those kind of games because you really there aren't really a lot of decisions to have to make on carnival games. You get your cards. You're either going to play them or you're not going to play them. In my book, I go step-by-step through how you play every game that I had dealt in the casino. And in the very kindergarten language, that you should be able to understand it. So, Oh, wow. Well, okay. it, mm-hmm. like, it seemed like that's the hardest thing, though, to play blackjack. But while you were there kind of doing it, did the mm-hmm. pit boss like, ever switch out blackjack dealers when the player is on a hot streak as a cooler? No, no, they don't. Only the reason for that is because the 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 hot spot with a player is going to definitely cool off. And second of all, the player never knows when to get up and walk away. You got very few players if they're on a hot streak will count their blessings and say, "Gee, I I came in with X amount of money and I have got this much money." maybe I should call it quits because my luck's going to change. No, they want more, 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 and therefore they end up playing it all back. So the casinos aren't really, really worried. What they do do is if somebody is on a winning streak, they do notify the cameras and they do make sure that they keep a watch on them too so that they're not cheating. And they, otherwise, they, they don't. They don't really sweat the small stuff because they know that for every penny you're winning, somebody else is losing. And uh, so that's how come the casinos stay open. So now as long as you're not cheating and you're winning the money, uh, honestly, no, they, they're, not, they're not upset. They're not upset at all. Okay, because watch they, some of the they usually make it, huh? They usually make about a million a, a, a day anyway. So, you know, okay. uh, they don't care if you win that money. But most of the time when you watch the movies like Casino and, and what's the other movie <laughs> that um, Kevin Space played in, right. you, you I, think yeah. it's like Kim up if they catch your card counting. And not too long ago, uh, Ben Affleck got thrown out the casino for doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. He said he was he was on a winning streak, and I was like, wow. Um, well, he was well, counting cards, and you're allowed oh, to count cards. The only problem is is you're not – the casino does not have to let you count cards in their casino. But with Ben okay. Affleck, he was allowed to stay in the casino. He just wasn't allowed to go to their blackjack tables. <laughs> okay. Okay, I got you. So he could stay on in there, but you're not going to do what you want to do. That's basically their rules, and you have to respect that. I don't know what they're 
Now, he thought he had rights because he, he was a celebrity. No, you don't have rights. So, no. honey, what, what made you write your, mm-hmm. did you write your My book? book, The Casino Through a Dealer's Eyes? Uh, the reason for that, again, was because I watched the novice players over and over and over again, and we weren't allowed to help them at the table how to play. Um, yeah. A dealer can get fired if they tell you to hit a card and you hit it and you end up losing because you yeah. can report that dealer. So, therefore, we can't really help you teach you how to play the game. And so I figured that, you know, it's time now to – I couldn't do it while I was a dealer. Uh, I had to wait until I left the casino because it was a conflict of interest. So I ended up waiting. And then I, re, I started the book back in 2003. And then when I left in 2012, I bought the book Current. And then I, was the, I wasn't even sure I was even going to be able to get it published because as a new author, you don't always have the chance of them accepting your book. But my publisher is called Tate Publishing. Uh, they're located in Oklahoma. And um, they were like one of the top ten uh, publishing firms out there and they told me going in well Connie you are a new author and we only accept 4% out of 100 so therefore you might not get chosen we just want to let you know that and I said okay so they end up accepting me and I was one of the 4% so I feel very honored that the publishing firm who paid the cost of my book being published thought enough of my book to publish it so it's the only book out there in the whole United States, there's no other book like it. It is wow. easy read. It's only 64 pages. Um, you've got a copy of the book, so uh, yes, you, I do. Know you're, yeah, you know that it's very easy read, and it's only 64 pages, and half of the book is made up of different games and how to play them, but there's a lot of tips in there for, like, slot machines, and, and I did statistical work for three to four years for the experienced players that they will get a – um, an opportunity to read as to what I did at the table. And what I did on that statistical work was in the first three hands out of a shuffled shoe, um, there, believe it or not, it's hard to believe this, but it's true, um, you're either going to win your first hand and lose the second or um, lose your first hand and win the second. And, uh, but it's, it's very complicated to explain this, how it works, but in the book, I go step-by-step step how to do this. And I also mentioned that you should also not do this statistic unless you're winning, but just watch it if you're not winning, and you'll see how accurate it is and how, how many times this comment that I make in the book of how to play this, only on the first three hands, comes true. It's like over 90% of the time this this statistic works. So that's pretty good odds. See, that's what I definitely would need to step by step because I can't even play spades. I, I don't. I don't know how to play <laughs> no card games. I don't know why. Maybe I didn't hang around enough friends to play those, but when it comes to, like, Uno, little card games, uh-huh. fish, right. I'm a honey. Yeah. I am. I'm a close person. And it really it upsets me because I want to really get in there and I'll be mad because my husband go to parties mm-hmm. and be playing spades and I'll be like, I can't even be your partner because I don't even know what to do. We we all going to lose. <laughs> we going to lose. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, so, know, there's some that do like to play cards, and, and, you know, some just don't do it. But, I mean, I'm even though I dealt blackjack, I am more of a slot player. So right. I have given several tips on slots, and I proved my point again on my book. I was at the casinos about three weeks ago uh, because I've got my book 
now in one of the gift shops called the Rising Star and uh, Casino Resort in Rising Sun, Indiana. So it's in their gift shop. And I went down there to the gift shop again. It's been it's been there now for like two months, the book has. But anyway, while I was down there, I went into their casino, and I was going to practice what I put in my book and to see, again, to make sure it does work. And I, um, I walked home with $150 to the good. So I... Um, one of the things I stress in there also is that you've got to know when to fold. And I felt very comfortable with getting my money back plus 150 more, and I felt this is the time to walk away. And um, so many people wait for the big jackpot, you know, the, you know but you've got to remember there's 4,000 ways to have that wheel spin and for a payout on the payout line. And and notoriously, I'm sure if, if whoever's a slot player will witness that, how many times on the pay line have you seen two of the bonus payoffs and the third one is just like hanging down, ready to come onto the pay line? Well, before I realized and knew that this is a setup, so to speak, because that the uh, people want you to believe that you, it's so close to this thing hitting, okay, like this this slot machine is going to hit because there's two red sevens and that other seven's hanging up there is just ready to come down and pay out. Well, that's not true because that's just one of those enticing moments to have you spin the slot wheel again. So in my tips I've given, um, I know once before, my book just came out in November, so prior to that I was playing the slots this one time about four months ago, and my sister was with me and and she knew what I put in my book and so she says she comes over to me and she saw that I had uh, several credits in there and she says Connie she said are you going to follow what's in your book and I said oh absolutely and so I I did what I said in my book and so um, it's really funny because she came over just at the time I was going to do what you're supposed to do and so she said and I'm you know it was just really funny that she came over to question me if I'm going to do what's in my book and I did but. Anyway, it's, it's uh, very interesting for the slots, and it does work. Uh, my, my tips that I give for slots and, uh, and the tips that I give for blackjack also work. And there's, um, it's only $7.99 for the book, and it, um, it's an easy read. It is only 64 pages, and uh, like I shared with everybody else, is that even if you get one good piece of information from the book, you've got mm-hmm. your investment back. And you're right. going to get so much more out of it. So, right. Well, so you can't beat that. You you helping them. You showing them because that's it's not easy when you go there and you gamble and then you lose your money. So I hope people pick up the book right. and go about smart way. Now, what's the biggest win you ever seen at your roulette table? Well, I don't deal roulette, but I know that in blackjack itself, I saw somebody winning. Um, well, I've seen a lot of people win at the roulette, but exactly how much. But Well, one tip I can give on roulette, because I never dealt a game, but a, a dealer shared with me. If you ever see somebody at the roulette table who is really winning big, <clears throat> don't be shy. Put your money on top of theirs, okay? Because just because you might not be having luck that day doesn't mean that it's, you're going to jinx that other person from having luck. He's still going to carry his own luck. Um, I didn't do it that time because I felt funny and putting my money on top of his because I didn't want to jinx him. And, uh, oh, my God, he had so much 
purple on the table, this guy. I was at a different casino this one time when I was playing, and I, didn't, I, I saw how much money he was winning. I mean, he had thousands and thousands and thousands on the table. And I noticed that the stack that he was winning on was so high, and I didn't realize the difference between all the colors that he was not the only one playing that number. And so I, but I felt like I was going to jinx him and, not, that was nice me. So found out later, Connie, don't ever do that again. Go and put your money on top of his money, and you would have won too. And so that's a little tip to remember for people. And another tip for the roulette table is if you walk up to the table and you see mm-hmm. the numbers that the roulette, the dealer has dealt and they're all one color, bet on the black or red only bet the number that is being spun. If you've got if you look on the on the the layout thing and um on the table thing the thing where the they show you all the numbers and if you see she's got she's spun now ten red already and you're thinking, oh surely she's not going to spend another red, she's going to do black. Well you can't outfox the wheel so go with the red until it switches to black because she I have seen them spin one number, one color for like maybe up to 20 times in a row. But the other thing you need to find out before you bet that on the red is to find out did they just, when you walked up to the table, did they just um, switch dealers? Did they, the, usually when they switch dealers, that means the dealer's going on break. So if you've got that pattern going there of all red, you want to wait until you see, make sure that that's the same dealer that's doing that pattern before you bet on the red. If it's the other one, I would bet on the black then. So those are the little tips for, for the roulette game. But, um, you know, there's, there's so many things to learn that, um, as I say, the book is an easy read and it's uh, very easy to understand. It's in kindergarten language. So my editor even told me he felt that if I was sitting there talking to him when he was reading the book because it was so easy to understand the, the rules one other thing I had suggested that if you purchase the book or you download it on the ebook, okay. stand behind the blackjack table or stand behind your let it ride table or wherever, pull up that game and stand there and watch them play a hand or two and follow it with the instructions that I give in the book. And then you should be, especially in the carnival games, you should be able to sit down and play the next hand pretty well understanding what's going on as long as you watched one hand and have the information in front of you in my book or on ebook um, and you will see how easy it is to pick up the game. So okay. those are the things I recommend. Yeah, those are some good pointers. I, I will love that because my husband is ending up talking about he want to go to Las Vegas and that will help prepare us. But you know, might oh, have yeah. a little late. Never know. Might have a little late luck and win some money. But like I told him, once you win, as you were saying earlier, back away. I don't want to be stuck at the table and then we lose all our money. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, as I say in the book, too, is that when you're walking in, you got to know whatever it is you're planning on bringing to the casino, what's going to make you happy to win to walk away with. Okay? I walked away with 150 That. That was fine for me. I didn't need to wait until I hit the major jackpot. If you're waiting for that major jackpot on the slot machine, you must go out and buy a lottery ticket because you've got just as much of a chance 
winning the lottery as you do winning that major big jackpot. So you got to, I mean, it, it, if you do win that major jackpot, well, that's so, so exciting, understandably, but 99% of the people in there are not going to win that major jackpot. So just think about what it is it's going to take you to walk away a winner. And that's, that's very good advice. So be smart about it. So exactly. Is it really, so kind of is it really the black jack dealer's job to point out obvious card counters to a pit boss, or do they just leave that to the eye in the sky? Um, if we suspect something, we do report it to our pit bosses, um, and then they will watch it themselves for a little bit. Um, but sometimes we don't even catch it ourselves, you know. But it, it is the job of the pit boss who's standing behind us to start watching tables. And if they, and one of the clues for for somebody who's counting cards is, uh, even though it's legal, is their betting system. You know, they will be betting, say, if it's a ten dollar table, they might be betting fifteen. And then as they're counting the cards, they know pretty pretty much so what cards are gonna, they're going to be dealt. So then they will um, add more money to their bet, and then they will then go back down to 10 or $15 that they had, um, and they fluctuate back and forth on their bet. And so the uh, pit boss, if he catches it, um, you know, he will report it to surveillance. Surveillance will then lock in on that person and watch them doing their consistent bet like that, um, and then that's how they nail them. And then also a way of, they have to be careful is um, for what they bet, what they brought, they bought in for, and how much they've got on the table. So I recommend for them to um, color up their money. Well, there's two reasons to color up your money if you're winning big. One is because you don't know who's watching you from the side. We've had this happen several times, and the our casino was not the only one that did this. I mean, you have people standing in the background watching you win. Then they follow you outside, and they take it from you. So it's better if you have a large sum of money to color it up and put it in your pocket. Um, therefore, nobody really knows how much you're winning, and therefore the cameras wouldn't probably know either too much what you're winning. Um, so they they do keep a, a, a somewhat record of how much money's in the chip rack in front of the dealer, uh, what's missing, and they can sort of pinpoint as to who's got it in their pockets. But um, the important thing is for the safety also of people watching you. We had a girl one time who bought in for two hundred dollars and turned her money into ten thousand. She lived in Dayton, Ohio, and she was followed home by a person standing back back pretty far who they end up catching and, and he went to jail. But when she colored up for her 10000 she got home. And uh, when she cashed out, she took the 10000 and put it in her purse. Well, he followed her all the way to Dayton. And it was on the news. And he followed her all the way to Dayton. And when she got out of her car, he got out and he grabbed her purse. Well, what he did that was so stupid was – he went right back down to Hollywood and played her money. But she was smart enough to know that nobody, but nobody would have known that she had that money unless they were in the casino with her. So she called back to Hollywood, told them what, where she was sitting, what was happening. They spotted the person, and then they watched 
to see if by chance he would be coming back down to the casino. And sure enough, <laughs> he came back down and play, was playing on her money when they arrested him. So, wow. Oh, you know, man. So those are, those are, that is why you color up and you put some of your money away because, you know, it, it's not only Hollywood that that happened to. I mean, it happens to every every casino in every state. You have to be watching who's watching you, you know. So right. you have to be very cautious. Especially if you want and to I, make big money. You would think they would do that. I mean, you sitting up there getting all that money. You want to be careful. Watch your back and understand what's going on. Now, you probably now you probably understand the odds and the math behind the roulette better than a hundred percent of people out here, even ones who's listening. Why I don't understand why 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 does anyone really play that game? Um, do you think of the people playing? mostly that um, playing roulette as morons or something like that, Connie? I mean, because that's a hard game. Um, I, I don't... Oh, I think I, I like playing roulette. I think roulette's really a lot of fun. And, again, it, it is... Um, if the dealer is... Not, it, like, the red and black is a, lot, is a lot of fun. And there's just certain times that these other certain numbers come out. A lot of people like to play birthday numbers and whatever. But, again, as I say, if you see somebody winning and doing a good job at, at the numbers that they're picking, you put a dollar on top of theirs, you know. I mean, you don't have to put a whole stack of money on top of it. Just put a dollar on that one and um, see how often that person's winning because there's always going to be one person at the table, it seems like, that is winning. And so if you're not having any luck at the roulette table, then then just put a dollar on his and see how lucky you can get on, on his money. You know, so. But I, I, I do like roulette. And um, there is, um, you know, there's, they have to spend the ball a certain way, you know, because this is how they're taught. Um, and there's no, there's no cheating at that game. So, you know, it's very hard to cheat when you're spending the ball, you know, so. It, it's a fun game to play. I I I do like to play that, but I'm addicted to slots. So to me, in the book, mm-hmm. there's quite a few tips on the slots. So make sure you look them up and and um, and take heed to my tips on there because they do work. We sure we definitely will. Now I know that we're running short on time, but I would like to ask um, why you've been experienced yourself. If if someone's losing his shirt at your black tech. At the blackjack table, do you still expect mm-hmm. to tip you? Uh, no, uh, you know, even though some people do, uh, we no. If you're losing your shirt, of course not. They understand. They they're happy that you're walking away, mainly for yourself. You know, so they don't want to see you lose any more money. You know, but they the uh, dealers do appreciate tips because they make their money just like a cocktail server does. They make minimum wage of four twenty-five to seven dollars an hour, so they really do appreciate any generosity given from the players if they are winning. So you know, no, they don't expect it if you're losing. No, by no means. Well, honey, now before we get off the air, mm-hmm. um, how do you go about getting in contact with you and purchasing your book again? Okay. Um, there's so many easy ways of doing it. One thing, if you're living in the Ohio, Kentucky, or Indiana residential area, you can go to the Rising Star Casino and Resort in Rising Sun, Indiana, and in their gift shop, my book is in there. Or you can go to eBay, you can go to Amazon, 
Barnes & Noble. You can Google my book called The Casino Through a Dealer's Eyes and it comes up with all the information on there to where you can find it. Or you can actually go to my own website. It does come in e-book fashion, um, and you can get that from my site. Um, the website for me is the casino through dealer's eyes dot Tate, T-A-T-E, author, dot com. Just remember the name of the title of the book, dot Tate, T-A-T-E, which is my publisher, and author, dot com. So Tate author runs together. So, um, you know, appreciate everybody doing that. And if they do one more thing, is that when you get to the casinos, um, I am trying to get my book into all the casinos, but it's tough right now to reach every casino in the United States. So if you would happen to go into the gift shop, if you would be kind enough to ask them to carry my book, that would be awesome. Uh, all they have to do is get in contact with Tate Publishing, and Tate will put them in contact with how they order the book. Because that's the easiest well, way once they can get it into the gift shops. Well, I definitely hope by the time I make it to Las Vegas, which might be for next year around summertime, I hope I can mm-hmm. be able to ask if they don't have if they don't have your book in there to ask them where is Tony Allen's book? You need uh-huh. it in here. <laughs> exactly. But, but because it is for the novice players, so it is for the novice Why? players, and the, and uh, there is no other book out there in the anywhere in the market like this book. And it's only 64 pages, and it's a, like a five-by-seven book, so it's not something that's clumsy to carry around or whatever. So, exactly. so I'm, I'm, hoping to down the, yeah, I'm hoping down the road that I can get it on audio where you can put it in your – if it is a CD um, yeah. down the road. And I'm looking forward to starting doing speaking engagements here soon. So, you know, people can – will be able to – for whatever the price of the seminar will be, um, they'll get the book that will come with it. So – you know, so that that's going to be helpful. And then if they get the book, then I will be able to elaborate more what's in the book. Yeah, that will be. Speaking and engagement. Yeah. There will be good options for people, yes. Well, kind of, I thank mm-hmm. you for, I'm glad that we were able to uh, reschedule this engagement. I'm glad <laughs> you come. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. I really enjoyed it, and I hope the audience enjoyed it. And if they need any questions to be asked, they can go onto my website. There's a place where they can email me on there, and I will get back with them. Well, thank so. you, Connie. You have a blessed one. I thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me. All righty. Talk You're to everybody welcome. later. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bye-bye. What? Well, everyone, that ends my show for today. I hope that you're ready to Change your luck by going to the casino, but don't be no fool and don't spend all your money in one spot. And also, I hope that you believe in the spirituality world because don't forget about our first guest. Don't be scared. It's only human nature. But I'll see you tomorrow at noon. Don't be too spooked out now to just tune in. Have a blessed one. Thank you for tuning in to The Bright Side with Tanisha. Come back daily from 12 p.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. God bless.